Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. Welcome to Turning Point. Many people see Christianity as a system of legalistic rules and limitations, instead of what it actually is, a relationship offering real freedom. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah profiles a man who taught passionately that we serve a God of grace, not legalism. Discover why David has called the Apostle Paul and today's message, The Freedom Fighter, after a word of introduction. Well, thank you for joining us for the Friday edition of Turning Point. As you know, yesterday we finished up our discussion of spiritual warfare, and we have a couple of days between now and when we began the new series in July. One of the messages I wanted you to hear is this message from Galatians, where Paul is fighting against the intrusion of legalism into the gospel. You see, being a warrior isn't just always between you and others on the outside of the faith. Sometimes you have to fight for what you believe, even within the church. Uh, Unfortunately, some people take that as a life calling, and it shouldn't be. But when you see error creeping into the gospel, when you see people trying to add things that don't belong, you need to stand up, and Paul will show you how to do it. These next two days, we're going to talk about the freedom fighter. Listen to Paul defend grace and the freedom of salvation. Now, friends, the um, series on spiritual warfare is over, but the resources continue to the end of the month because these are, are available to you until the end of June. Included in the resources are a 200-page book, which we've called Spiritual Warfare Answers and Questions About It. Here you will find... Uh, 200 pages of information on spiritual warfare, 185 of those pages feature 86 questions with answers uh, about the subject, and uh, you will find this very helpful, very easy to get to, to access. What does the Bible say about this? You can look in the index, and it will show you. It's not only well uh, designed from the front, but in the back there is a an index, a topical index to help you find whatever you're looking for in this little volume. This is yours for a gift of any size to Turning Point until the end of June. So you have just a few days left. If you haven't sent your gift and asked for your copy, please do so today. Let me remind you again that we ask for your help in a special way during the month of June because it's the end of our fiscal year, and we do want you to know what you do this month is doubly important. It helps us finish strong, helps us to have a good platform for the new year, and uh, we are very thankful for your hearing my invitation to give, especially in December and in June. 
Well, friends, we need to get started with today's lesson. We're going to talk about Paul and his um, fighting against the intrusion into the gospel of legalism. Galatians chapter 2. Here we go. Ernest Hemingway was an author and journalist who most of us know primarily from For Whom the Bell Tolls. His life story is a study in the poisonous power of legalism. Interestingly enough, his grandparents were devout evangelicals who attended Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois, a famous Christian school. His parents were also professing Christians, but had developed to its fullest that brand of Christianity that is judged by one's adherence to the rules and regulations of religion. When Hemingway began living his sinful, profligate life, which is chronicled in his life story, his mother refused to allow him in her presence. One year for his birthday, she mailed him a cake along with the gun his father had used to kill himself. Another year, she wrote him a letter explaining that a mother's life is like a bank. Every child that is born to her enters the world with large and prosperous bank accounts, seemingly inexhaustible. She wrote, the child makes withdrawals, but no deposits during all the early years. Later, when the child grows up, it is his responsibility to replenish the supply he has drawn down. And Hemingway's mother then proceeded to spell out all the specific ways in which Ernest should be making deposits to keep the account in good standing. She listed, among other things, flowers and candy and fruit, but most of all, the paying of mother's bills. And above all, she wrote, a determination to stop neglecting your duties to God and your Savior, Jesus Christ. End of quote. Ernest Hemingway never got over his hatred for his mother or for her Savior. For Ernest Hemingway, Jesus was about all the stuff you have to do to earn God's favor because that's the kind of relationship that he had with his own mother. In his introduction to the book of Galatians, Eugene Peterson writes, when men and women get their hands on religion, one of the first things they often do is turn it into an instrument for controlling other people, either putting or keeping them in their place. The history of such religious manipulation, he wrote, and coercion is long and tedious. Well, we've been learning that Saul of Tarsus was doing his diligent best to add yet another chapter to this dreary history when on the road to Damascus to arrest some Christians because he couldn't find any to arrest in Jerusalem anymore. On the road to Damascus, he was miraculously saved. He was converted by Jesus to something radically and entirely different from the old religious practices of the law. He was converted to a life of freedom in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, Paul learned that God was not an impersonal force to be used to make people behave in certain prescribed ways, 
but he was a personal savior who set us free to live a free life. God did not coerce us from without. He set us free from within. During his early life as a Christian, Paul preached this grace. He founded a series of churches in the Roman province of Galatia. And a few years later, he learned that religious leaders from the old school from which he had been a part had come into those churches and called his views and his authority into question. And they were introducing the old ways, herding all of these freedom-loving Christians back into the corral of religious rules and regulations. Paul was furious with the old guard for coming in with their strong-arm religious tactics and intimidating the Christians into giving up their freedom in Jesus. The book of Galatians is the story of Paul's fight for the freedom of God's people. That's why I call today's message the freedom fighter. That's what he was. Paul was not the last nor the first of the freedom fighters. If you study church history, you know that throughout the ages there have always been people who in strategic moments have stood in the gap to protect the truth. I was reading and I came across a conversation that took place between two friends of mine. Howard Hendricks, who was my professor in seminary, and Chuck Swindoll, who's a famous pastor and author. They were talking about this whole issue of legalism. And here is what Charles Swindoll had to say about it, so you'll know he's a freedom fighter too. He said, the problem with legalists is that not enough people have confronted them and told them to get lost. He said, those are strong words, but I don't mess with legalism anymore. I'm 72 years old, and what have I got to lose? Seriously, he said, I used to kowtow to legalists, but they're dangerous. They're grace killers. They'll drive off every new Christian you bring to church. They're the enemies of the faith. Other than that, I don't have any opinion. (laughs) He's kind of a contemporary, modern-day freedom fighter. The book of Galatians is about freedom. In fact, the word liberty is found 11 times in the book of Galatians. And the clarion call to freedom is given to us in the fifth chapter and the first verse where we read these words, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be tangled again with the yoke of bondage. This is the call to freedom from the book of Galatians. Read it out loud. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be tangled again with a yoke of bondage. In the second chapter of Galatians, Paul continues to defend himself against the accusations of the false teachers from Jerusalem. Bondage and control are very tenacious, don't you know? Those who have control over you will do almost anything to keep you in bondage. It is evident as you read the epistle of Galatians and compare it to the passages in the book of Acts that one of the great concerns in the hearts of those would-be leaders who came from Jerusalem was the fear that they were losing control. The grace of God was setting people free, and they would no longer be able to control and manipulate them. And since Paul was the great freedom fighter who had preached the gospel of grace, they viewed him as their arch enemy. 
Paul was viewed as the champion teacher of God's grace. And when they could find no way to attack his message, guess what? They attacked him. He became the focal point of their anger, and they went after him. Remember the last time we were together, Paul was making the point that he didn't get his gospel from some theological think tank in Jerusalem because he said, I was only there for two weeks. I mean, you can't learn everything I know in two weeks no matter where you go. I couldn't have learned that in two weeks, Paul says. No, I didn't get my gospel from a theological think tank. What did he say? He said, I got it straight from God. I got my gospel by way of revelation. Paul was an apostle born out of due time, and Almighty God had communicated the gospel directly to Paul. Where and when that happened, we're not sure. It may have been right at the time of his conversion, or perhaps during this three-year period that he spent in Arabia all alone. But Paul had gotten the gospel, and he got it straight from God. He is saying in so many ways in the book of Galatians, I am not a product of my own relationships with other apostles. I didn't go to Jerusalem and co-opt the gospel from Peter, James, and John. I didn't get together with a bunch of other theologues and come up with this grace package. (laughs) Because you see, the Judaizers thought Paul had invented all of this in order that he could be popular. They thought Paul came up with grace to take all of the sting out of the law. It's real easy. All you got to do is just love Jesus, and it's going to make him real popular. And so they really went after him. If you remember, Paul pretty much dealt with that issue. He went point by point and proved that he was not preaching a gospel that he had gotten from others. Well, here in this section of Galatians, Paul is making a different point. The Judaizers, the false teachers who had come from the church in Jerusalem, the critics of Paul, have now come back with a different accusation. This time they're saying, Paul, you can't be from God. Why, your gospel is completely different than the one that Peter preaches. Your gospel is completely different from the one that John preaches. The enemies of the gospel are shrewd. Let me say that clearly. They are motivated and energized by Satan himself, and Satan does not ever give up easily. If we block him at this point, he will change his attack, and he may even use a strategy that is in direct contrast to his original one. Now get this. The first thing they said was, Paul, you can't be real because you got your gospel from the apostles. And now they're saying, Paul, you can't be real because your gospel is different from the apostles. That's just the senility of the whole thing. They came back and said, Paul, we don't believe you're from God because you don't preach the same message that Peter preaches. They take Paul's answer to his first accusation and throw it back in his face. Paul, your gospel is unique, all right. You're nothing more than a self-appointed apostle with a self-devised message that's totally different than any message the rest of the apostles are preaching. And Paul answers in these next verses that while his gospel was received directly from the Lord, since all gospel comes from the Lord, he got the same gospel from the Lord that all of the rest of the apostles had gotten from the Lord. He had the Lord's gospel. It wasn't the apostles and it wasn't his. It was the Lord's gospel. And in Galatians 2, 1 to 10, Paul describes how he goes about defending himself against what they're saying. And it's a very interesting paragraph, even though it's a very difficult one. We begin with Paul's appointment in Jerusalem in the first two verses. 
And the sequence of events are spelled out in the very first part of the verse. He says, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. And you remember that the chronology for Paul was like this. He was on the way to Damascus to arrest some Christians there and bring them back and have them indicted in Jerusalem. He was converted on the road to Damascus. And then the Bible says that for the next three years, he spent his time primarily in Arabia, although he came back to Damascus a little bit, he was totally isolated. And then at the end of that three-year period, we are told, he just began to preach. And for 14 years, Paul preached. He went about his missionary journeys. He established the churches in Galatia. And so we read these time events in the first verse of Galatians 2, and let's read them carefully. During the time that he was in Jerusalem for 15 days, he had met very few of the early Christians. And then he went back to preaching and being the apostle and the disciple. And Paul says that he has not invented the gospel. Paul says that the accusations have changed. Paul now needs to establish that while his gospel is unique from God, it's not a gospel he got from the apostles. His gospel is the same gospel as the apostles. How many of you know there's only one gospel? You can't have two gospels. There's not a gospel for the Jews and one for the Gentiles. There's not a gospel for people who live in America and those who live in Africa. Let me tell you, one of the reasons why and one of the ways you can tell if somebody's preaching the true gospel is this. If the gospel they preach doesn't work in a third world country, it's not the gospel. Because there's only one gospel. I hear some of these preachers sometimes and they're preaching a gospel of prosperity that falls on deaf ears when you get outside of the United States. You know what I know about that? That's not the gospel of God. God only has one gospel. He doesn't have a gospel for rich nations and a gospel for poor nations. He's got the gospel of the grace of God. And that's what Paul is championing here. He's saying, listen, I don't want you to be confused. Yes, it's true. I didn't get my gospel from the apostles, but the gospel I got is the same gospel that they preach. And now he's going to prove it. For 14 years he's been preaching in these churches in Galatia and all these false teachers have been coming from Jerusalem. Just coming, sneaking their way into the church and spreading all this stuff about how if you're a Christian, you can't be a true Christian unless you're kind of like a Jew Christian. You gotta be circumcised, you gotta keep all the law, you gotta honor the Sabbath. You can be your Christian, you can love your Jesus, but just put it together with Judaism. And Paul understood how dangerous that was because that was not the gospel of God's grace. So he goes to Jerusalem now, and we read about this in the first verse. It says he selected his companions, and his companions were two. He took with him Barnabas and Titus. Interesting selections. And I love the story behind this. Now, Barnabas was a Jew, and Barnabas was a pretty famous Jew. His first name was Joseph, and he got his name changed by the way he lived. He was a very encouraging Man And the Bible says that the disciples, the apostles, changed his name from Joseph to Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. And it's interesting because they really got it right. They named him right. Everywhere you look in the Bible, wherever you find Barnabas, he's always helping somebody. I haven't found one place where his name appears in the text where he isn't helping somebody. How many of you know we need more Barnabases in our culture? You know, people who just don't care about anything else, they just want to help somebody. 
Paul and Barnabas ultimately became the two missionaries who started the missionary work. And so Paul put his arm around Barnabas and he said, we're going to Jerusalem, son. Come on with me. And so Barnabas was his first buddy. But the Bible tells us that he took with him Titus. And I need to tell you, perhaps more important than Paul's choice of Barnabas to accompany him to Jerusalem was his selection of Titus. You know why? Titus was Paul's spiritual son and co-worker. You can read about him in the book that has Titus' name on it. But unlike Barnabas, Titus was a full-blooded, uncircumcised, Gentile Christian. He was a Greek convert who came to Christ by the very ministry that the Judaizers were attacking through the gospel of grace. Titus had become a Christian. He didn't know anything about Judaism. He was a Gentile convert. If anyone were to say that a person had to be circumcised in order to be saved, he was going to have to talk Titus out of his conversion. Because Titus was genuinely born again, but he hadn't gotten into all of the Judaism that the false teachers were trying to lay on the new believers. And Paul tells us here in chapter 2, verse 2, that he went up to Jerusalem. Notice it says, I went up by revelation. You know what that means? I think what it means is he really didn't want to go. But God told him to go, so he had to go. How many of you know sometimes when God tells you to do something that you don't want to do, you best not argue with God because you're going to lose the argument. You're just going to lose it every time. So Paul said, I went up to Jerusalem by revelation. God told me to go. And when he got to Jerusalem, what he did, verse 2, is he communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles but privately to those who are of reputation. So here is Paul and Barnabas and Titus. Paul's been preaching for 14 years, maybe more than that, establishing churches. He's got all these young churches, and now they're going down to Jerusalem. And this is a scary thing, because Jerusalem's where the big church is. Jerusalem's where the council is. Jerusalem's where all of the famous Christians are. And so here's Paul and Barnabas and Titus, and they're going into Jerusalem. And Paul goes in, The Bible says the first thing he did was he got together the leaders. He got together those who were of reputation. That's what the scripture says. It's a phrase that means those who were honored. And Paul had a private meeting with them. Probably the first meeting that he had in Jerusalem. And he met with them. And he got together perhaps with Peter and John and James along with Barnabas and Titus. And he shared with them privately the content of his message. I don't know if this is what he did, but he says, you guys are picking on me because you say I'm not preaching the right message. Well, I wrote out my message and here it is. Why don't you check it out? Paul's message was the same as theirs. There wasn't any other message. You can only get to heaven one way. There's no two or three ways to heaven. The Bible says there is one way to God. And that's through Jesus Christ. And that's the message that Paul was preaching. In Acts chapter 15, we read a little bit about this meeting. It says, and when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So in this meeting, they weren't all friendly people. Some people had gotten in this meeting who were saying, no, 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 this gospel of grace, you can't have that. You got to add some other things to it. (laughs) Sort of like some people today say, if you're not baptized, you can't be a Christian. Or if you don't 
keep the sacraments, you can't be a Christian. Or if you don't do this or that. Listen, there's not anything you can do to be a Christian. All you can do is receive what's already been done through Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is fighting for. And it's serious to Paul. You know how I know? Look at the end of the second verse where Paul writes, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Do you know what he means when he says that? I think I've got this part of it figured out. Paul's concerned that these false teachers who were following him around and trying to sabotage his work would make his efforts in the gospel of no value. In essence, Paul is challenging the Jerusalem council either to endorse the false teachers or to endorse him. But you can't have it both ways. You know, he was a fighter. He was a champion, this man, Paul. And uh, every time I read him, read his letters, um, I'm encouraged. I remember when we were studying the book of Romans way back when, I read this about Paul. He was separated unto the gospel. And I remember thinking, what does that mean? That means he was shut up to everything else except the gospel. And more and more, every day I realize how important that is. And you have to fight to get there. You have to fight against everything that comes against you. And Paul is doing that right before our eyes in Galatians chapter 2. We're seeing how committed he is to the gospel and what he's willing to do and say in order to protect its purity and not let anything come in and erode its power. We'll have more of this on Monday. But you can see I'm a little fired up about this because this is a battle we fight quite often in the ministry today. Hey, don't forget we're on television over this weekend. Uh, Some great stations carry us. Uh, And uh, some of the new ones that we're very excited about that you may not know about, we're now on Newsmax TV at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. We're on Fox Business News at 1230 uh, Eastern Time. You can find us many other places throughout the day. I hope you'll watch And then be sure to join us on Monday. For more information on today's special and encouraging message from Dr. Jeremiah, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's timely book, Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. It's filled with strategies for fighting the forces of evil, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue our series of special encouraging messages here on Turning Point. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. How would you describe the state of happiness, the state of being truly content? While I like a definition of happiness, I read that says happiness is a way station between too little and too much. 
To me, that suggests a person is happiest when he is focused on very important goals in life and has just what he needs to accomplish them. The Apostle Paul had a similar perspective when he said he had learned the secret of being content, whether he had little or had a lot. In other words, his happiness wasn't dependent on what he possessed, but on being in God's will. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's secret of happiness on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.